Welcome back to Inside the Labyrinth Podcast, Season 4, Episode 3. This episode is sponsored by Valor Supplements and No Matter What Apparel. Both companies are owned by first responders, so let's give back to first responders who give back to us. Use code INSIDETHELAB, in all caps, for 10% off. So check out at www.nomatterwhatapparel.com. And use code RFR10, in caps, at www.valorsupplements.net for 10% off your purchase. In this episode, all I can say is wow. We had the honor and privilege to sit down and speak with Janae Kroc, a former Marine, a, ho- a world record holder in powerlifting, bodybuilder, and honestly, an expert trainer. Janae is formerly known as Matt Kroc and uses her inspirational stories, strengths, experience, and hope, and courage, and resilience to talk about her transformation and her transgender life she lives today. All I can say is thank you so much. Sit back, enjoy the ride, because this is one of my personal and Jay's favorite interview and inspiring interview we had yet. Again, this is Frank with Rep for Responders. If you guys have been listening, you know where to find me at reps underscore four underscore responders and you can find the one and only jay at the real Jumpman jay again we would like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in and being there with us through the labyrinth i hope you guys enjoy this powerful journey and remember you don't have to suffer in silence and you are never alone if you like this episode reach out to us and we can send you uh, janae's information if you would like to speak with her again Thank you so much, Janae, for your service and coming on the show. Sit back and enjoy the ride. And we're live. Welcome back to Inside the Labyrinth Podcast. Season 4, Episode 4. Uh, last episode, we had Andrew Haynes from the Titan Games, so make sure you guys check that out. Awesome dude, uh, veteran. So again, Andrew, thank you for your service. Uh, today, we have another veteran on on the show. Super excited, um, great journey, very honest person. And, you know, um, I just, before we introduce this person, I just want to thank them very much for coming on and, you know, able to share their strengths and experience and hope, not just with us, but with, with everyone out there. So before we introduce this guest, I'm going to kick it over to my man, Jay. Uh, it's me, the real jump man, Jay. I'm back with Frankie V, Restaurant Podcast, Inside the Labyrinth. Um, pretty psyched about today's podcast. Um, Frankie is always uh, getting great guests. So um, I got my notepad here. I'm going to be taking lots of notes. Uh, I probably might talk a little bit too much. So if I do that, just pull the reins in on me, Frankie, all right? Got to do what you got to do, man. <laughs> uh, for our uh, season four, episode four guests, going to introduce Janae Kroc. Janae, how you doing? And thanks for coming on the show. I'm doing well, thank you. And thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Of course, of course. I was kicking on that uh, before. You know, we always say if you are if you are a veteran, we always like to thank you for your service before the show. And uh, we, yes. out of me and Jay and a lot of our listeners, we appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, so, your how you how is like the right now for you doing? Like, you know, how how is what is today? Today's October first. Happy October! Look at that. So how's uh <laughs> how's uh how September? How did September treat you? Ah, oh, things have been good. I really can't complain in spite of the world being crazy and everything that's going on. You know, all my loved ones are happy and healthy and uh, life is good. Good. Happy to hear that. It's always good to hear. 
So we're going to hop right into your labyrinth. Um, and we're going to take Janae back to uh, her high school days. You know, how was high school for you? Um, any sports? Did you enjoy it? Did you not like it? Did you fit in? Did you not fit in? And kind of how was that journey for you? And was weightlifting even starting in your life there? So kind of see how high school was for you. Um, high school, and particularly junior high, was um, one of the roughest times of my life, even though people around me probably had no idea. Um, my gender issues, you know, I was aware of them by the time I was five or six years old. And at the same time, I was already passionate about strength training. So from the time I was a little kid, anytime I would see someone like big and jacked, I was like, wow, that's how I want to be. And it was just something that left an impression on me right away. I was always drawn to. But at the same time, like I said, five or six years old, as far back as I can remember, I would just find myself daydreaming about being a girl all the time. And I just felt like I had all these gender issues and I had no idea why. I didn't know, you know, that anyone else in the world felt that way. And it just, it made me feel like there was something wrong with me. I was ashamed. I you know, was full of guilt about it. And uh, even at that young age, I already, you know, the world around me had already taught me that it's not okay to, you know, be open about this. And then if I was, it was there were going to be very negative consequences. Um, I knew I had to hide it from my parents and that, you know, I couldn't tell anyone around me. And um, I grew up in a very small town in northern Michigan. Um, actually, like kind of out in the woods <laughs> between towns. We had a Omer address, Sterling phone number, and I went to Standish schools. So I was like way out, you know, woods on dirt roads and stuff like that. But, you know, small town, rural America, Midwest. And, um, you know, back then, especially this was like, I was born in 72 and basically grew up, you know, mostly during the 80s. And, um, you know, I was taught early on that there was nothing worse in the world than for a man to be gay. And so if I thought my gosh, if they think being gay is this bad, what are they going to think about me? Like, it has to be even worse. And so, you know, I was raised Catholic and, you know, basically taught to fear God and all that kind of stuff. So not only did I feel, you know, like there was something wrong with me and I was ashamed of it, but then I also felt like it was sinful and wrong. And so the whole time growing up, I was struggling with all these feelings and hiding them. But in, in contrast, I was able to blend in and survive because I love sports. And I was, like I said, I was drawn to lifting right away and I was very competitive and naturally athletic. So I played sports year round and um, that's how I was able to blend in and find acceptance and, you know, excel in a lot of areas and, you know, pretend to be this normal little boy. And, uh, you know, so I played baseball in the summer, football in the fall and wrestled in the winter. And then I lifted weights year round. And um, elementary school went pretty well. I was, you know, I, I did well in school and um, never really got in much trouble. Like I said, I was naturally athletic, so I was able to excel there. Junior high was when things kind of really started getting rough for me because the gender issues, you know, with becoming aware of, you know, attraction. Um, and I was always attracted to girls, which a lot of people find surprising. They, they don't understand that gender identity and sexuality are two different things. So even though, even though I felt like I was supposed to be female, I was always attracted to women. And okay. uh, so the, the two things, like between being in sports and being competitive and being attracted to, to girls, I was, I was able to like basically convince myself that, hey, I'm fine. 
you know, I'm like everybody else, you know, I, I, I was able to push down those trans feelings and kind of basically deny who I really was. And so I just focused on those things. But yeah, junior high got really rough. Um, Cause that's when I was, you know, our family was fairly poor and junior high was the first time that like, you know, the fancy clothes and you know, name brand stuff and the, you know, cool sneakers and all that mattered. And um, in junior high, I didn't have that. And so then it, I went from having all these friends that we all hung out together that I became the butt of everyone's jokes. I was an easy target and easy to pick on. And cause I didn't have all those things. So I kind of got shunned by my old friend group. My grades went from A's to B's and C's. And I generally just hated school. I, I hated it and I felt very isolated. And it really took a, my self esteem and self confidence really took a blow. Um, you know, in elementary school, I had pretty good self confidence because I was successful in sports and things like that. But junior high just basically destroyed all of that. And then high school, I was kind of slowly rebuilding it. But it was just a rough time. I had all these conflicting emotions. And like I said, I'd go, I'd go to school, love sports, focused on that. But at the same time, you know, I'd be looking at all these girls around me and wondering what it was like to be them. And, 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 and even though I was attracted to girls, dating was really awkward for me because I never felt comfortable in the male role. And so, you know, you, you don't think about those things. You think it would just be, you know, natural and you could just, you know, you do what you're supposed to do. But like the whole thing just felt really awkward to me and made me really uncomfortable. And at the time, I didn't put two and two together. I didn't understand why I felt so uncomfortable in those situations. I just wrote it off as to being like nervous around girls and stuff like that. But it was because I was being expected to play this male role and I had no idea how to do it. And girls would see me, you know, playing football or wrestling and they saw this, you know, alpha male type and someone who was really competitive and a good athlete. And they're expecting that same kind of person in a relationship. And in relationships, I was completely different. And um, so they never, it never really worked out. I never really had, like I, I had short term, you know, we'd date for like a month or two and then it wouldn't work out because the girls would lose interest because I didn't know how to initiate anything. And, um, and so like things like dances and prom made me super uncomfortable. And, and at the time, like I said, I wasn't really conscious of why. I just knew it filled me with anxiety. But looking back, you know, I was the one that wanted to be in the prom dress and, and having to wear like a tux and go to some of these things, I, I couldn't even imagine it. it just filled me with anxiety and made me really, really uncomfortable. So I just avoided everything. I never went to like a Christmas dance, never went to prom, never went to homecoming, none of those things. I just avoided all of it. And like I said, barely dated. And um, so yeah, high school was like a rough time, but I was lifting the whole time and slowly getting stronger and stronger. And then by the time, like my junior, senior year, I was getting a reputation of being, you know, like the lifter and like, you know, like the super jock and, and all that. And, you know, that helped with my self-esteem and everything. But like I said, it was still time in my life. And, you know, then from there, I went straight into the Marines. And, you know, fortunately I was able to excel there as well. But then, then I'm just still bearing down all these gender issues. And as the years go by, they're getting, it's getting harder and harder to suppress everything and not talk about it. And I'm someone who's pretty social and I deal with problems by talking. And so, but this, I was like too terrified, you know, to talk about it all. And so here I am in the Marines and I wasn't even thinking about the fact that you know, if I was came out about it, I would have been kicked out of the Marines dishonorably. Back then, it wasn't, you know, it was not allowed at all. What and year was it? 
Um, 90, I was in the Marines from 91 to 95. And, okay. Uh, towards the end of that, that's when like Clinton came out with Don't Ask, Don't Tell, which allowed, you know, gay people to be in the military as long as they weren't out about it. So it was kind of like a real, you know, it was, be- I guess, better than nothing, but still not a very good environment. And trans people weren't even addressed. And it was still something you could, you'd be dishonorably discharged if they found out about it. And wow. I got recruited into presidential security, and we had to go through all this psychological testing. And, and um, it, I was terrified. My question is there. Uh, how did you, um, you know, navigate through that? Because, I mean, that's got to be nerve wracking because, you know, you, like you said, you had these anxiety issues because your, you know, um, your gender identity would put you in a place. So now you're sitting here, and um, that's polygraph too, right? Um, no, it was, they didn't polygraph us, um, but it was lots of like psychological testing. It was designed, it was like personality assessments and things like that. Like they were trying to figure out, and they, they weren't trying to figure out, you know, you know, whether you're crazy or not. It's basically, they're looking for certain personality types, basically people that perform well under pressure, uh, people that won't aren't susceptible to being bribed or coerced. Um, you know, certain personality traits that would make you good at presidential security where you do a good job in high pressure situations, but also mm-hmm. wouldn't be vulnerable to people being able to get information from you and things like that. And they, okay. didn't, they didn't want people that would stress out. Um, you know, I know some of the things they looked for, they didn't want people that were loners or tended to isolate themselves, things like that. And, um, but at the same time, they're analyzing everything about us and we're taking like these, you know, test after test and they'd be huge exams. It would take several hours. You'd have like 600 questions and it was just all yep. this weird stuff. And, and, um, and at the time, you know, I'm a, I'm a 19 year old kid. And all I'm thinking is if they figure out who I am, I'm not going to get into the program. And they're telling us, you know, don't try to lie on these exams. Don't try to BS them. You're, you don't know what we're looking for. So you can't do it anyway. All you're going to do is screw it up. And, but I'm thinking the whole time, you know, that I'm, you know, I have to hide this. I have to protect this. And I remember there was a question on there that, that asked specifically, have you ever wished you were a girl? And I saw that and I was like, oh shit, you know, <laughs> like, and then I'm now, like, no, Now when you had a question, did you, did you, did you like panic? Were you like, oh, they figured me out or did you, were you able to kind well, of navigate? Well, I figured we were all getting the same exam or similar exams and, you know, maybe the questions were mixed up a little bit, but I think I just thought it must be something they screened for. And um, so I was like, nope, absolutely not, <laughs> you know. And, and then, uh, you know, there'd be questions like if there was a painting on the wall and uh, there was a flower in the painting, what color would you want the flower to be? And I'm like, I'm sure it's I will not put pink, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and just, you know, things like that. And, um, and then the scary thing was, is I talked to um, guys who'd already been through everything. And then we had at the end, you have a um, interview with a guy they called Doc Finley. He was a retired Marine Corps colonel that did all the psychological testing for the program. And then he would go through everything with them. Once you, your clearance came through and you're either assigned to Camp David, the presidential retreat or to White House, uh, White House communications. And they said that he would nail them to a T like, and they said it was scary. They said it was like crazy because he would tell them everything about them and they said it was dead on. So I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm in big trouble here. But like I said, I, I kind of, you know, answered the way I thought I needed to answer and I ended up making it through the program and everything worked out. But yeah, the whole time I'm like, you know, terrified that someone's going to find out or figure it out. And of course, I'm overdoing the macho stuff and, 
And, um, and, and, you know, and don't get me wrong. I mean, I was always naturally competitive. I was athletic and I definitely had an alpha personality type where if there was a group of people. I was, you know, kind of always trying to assert myself as like top dog. That was just like my natural tendencies. So it, it allowed me to, you know, thrive in that world. But at the same time, I'm, whole, I'm hiding this whole other aspect of who I am. And there were a couple of times, like I had some really close friends, you know, in situations like that, you get really, really tight with, you know, your, well, your brothers, basically, that you, you know, you serve with. And, um, and there was a couple I was really close to, and we'd have deep conversations. And, and there, and, you know, and some people knew, some of them close to me, they sensed there was something different about me, but they really didn't know what it was. And I found out later there were rumors about people wondering if maybe I was gay because I didn't have any serious relationships. And I was also pretty open about the fact that I was still a virgin. And some people thought like that was my game, you know, to get girls was to pretend like I'm all this innocent person because my personality didn't really fit with that. You know, I was this outgoing, social, you know, kind of jock type person. And I didn't seem like someone that that would jive with. So people were like, well, I think, I think that that's their game. That's how they're playing it, you know, and this and that, but it was all true. And it just had to do because I was so uncomfortable in those situations. But like I said, some people kind of, you know, knew something was different, but didn't know exactly what. And one of my best friends, we had some conversations and I came so close to telling him about everything. He was, he was actually from New York city. He lived on Long Island. I used to go home with him in Queens all the time. We had a lot of great, a lot of great weekends out there. And, um, but, uh, and, you know, he, he grew up in a you know, completely different environment from me. So, you know, growing up in the city, he was exposed to so many different types of people. And I knew he was very open-minded, but I was still just too terrified to, to fully open up about it and what the consequences might be if you told anyone else. And I came really close, but never shared anything. And, okay. uh, yeah, so it was a, you know, tough time. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it's a lot of it was a lot of emotions and a lot of um, you know being able to suppress a lot of these feelings. I mean, I, I mean, I couldn't imagine being in your shoes and having to. It's almost like you have to live like a, a double life in a sense, you know. Yeah. Because you have to be, you know, said person, but inside you're just like, you know, you're who you really want to be, and um, like I understand dialing down like personality traits but like this is a whole this is a different I, I couldn't even imagine so I, I commend you for having the strength to get through that and um you know navigate through those feelings through those emotions um because I know it's not easy uh I, I mean I could like I said I couldn't even imagine but um I just want to know at what point um did you feel okay to like come out and, and kind of identify with you know transgender yeah, well, the thing is, I think you, I think most of us eventually get to a point where no matter how scared we are and stuff, we just can't do it anymore. It becomes such an overwhelming burden that, and that's why, you know, attempted suicide and suicide is so, so prevalent in the transgender community. It's because people are so terrified, well, they're either terrified of what might happen or, or are dealing with what has happened. You know, they've come out and they've been rejected by their family, maybe rejected by their friends attacked physically, you know, and, and uh, facing, you know, violence all the time, especially for people like trans girls that don't pass and aren't able to blend in in society can be very difficult. And, um, but I think a lot of us just, especially back then, it's a little, you know, it's, obviously it's better now. I'm not going to say it's great for everyone. And, 
but it's, you know, it's much more talked about. It's much more out in the open. One great yeah. thing about social media is people realize that there's other people out there dealing with all the same things and there's a sense of community. When, when I was going through this, there was no internet. There was no, you know, there was no social media. There was none of that. And there was very little literature and very little information. When I was growing up, I thought I was the only person in the world that felt this way. Yeah. And um, I remember, I don't know if you guys remember, like the, um, the Rudolph, the Red-Nosed Reindeer Claymation series that they show every year at Christmas time. Yeah. And like, the Bumble the Monster the misfits. and all that. Yeah, so we all grew up with that. And, um, but they have, and the, and the one there's the, where they talk about Rudolph and the elf run away and they, and they stumble onto the island of misfit toys. And where all these, you know, rejects basically are isolated. And I just remember growing up thinking that's where I belong. And, um, you know, so it was, uh, it was really rough growing up feeling that way and um, pretending to be this person that, you know, had everything together and, you know, did well in a lot of areas, but yet having all this stuff you're carrying around the whole time. Mm -hmm. and, you know, just feeling like broken and unlovable. Yeah, so it was, uh, it was pretty tough. Yeah, I, I mean, like I said, I commend you. I think a really strong, resilient human being to, to go through that and, and come out on the other end. Um, I have a family friend that, um, um, like I, I pretty much consider them family. I grew up with them from the time I was like 12 years old till like present day. And um, the middle brother, I, I, like I already knew when he was very young that, you know, he didn't identify as a boy. So, um, you know, I knew it was only a matter of time before it was going to culminate to what it would, what it is now. And, um, it was, it was, I have a lot of empathy because I, I witnessed it. Someone that I love, who I consider family, um, was going through it and I saw the stages. And then eventually, when it got to the point where this person decided to come out and be who they wanted to be, it was met with a, a little bit of resistance from people I, I, I thought would be a little bit more understanding. Um, members kind of having um, issues accepting that this is you know how this person wants to live. Um, so I saw it firsthand and I, I, I kind of, um, I sympathize with this person because um, when you're in it and you see it, you can feel it a little bit more than just being like an outsider and not really having a to it. So I saw the ups and the downs and like, you know, the family having to deal with certain things and then eventually taking in the whole process and then being like, okay, this is how we're going to do things. This is how you want to live life that, okay, we, we've accepted you. And now it's like a bajillion times better, but you know, once again, this is like on the, like, the cusp of when people started to really come out and, and, and express that they wanted to live like this, the world was more accepting. Um, Cause I knew like when I was in high school, like they didn't have any like, you know, like clubs where you can be like, Hey, I'm, you know, you know, LGBTQ community. They didn't have that. I mean, we all knew who was who, but nobody really spoke about it. It was an unspoken thing. So when, you know, when this family friend of mine decided to start to come out, these things started to come to, to light. So had, uh, they had more of a support system because there were other people now saying, all right, this is how I feel. 
this is a whole community and we're going to back you and we're going to be very supportive of of your feelings so um i know like how rough that aspect of it is you know um because i like i said i witnessed it and i saw a lot of emotional things happening and then um i always say um the people who make it out and make it to the other side and you know the the success that they have was met with a lot of tumultuous crazy things but it's almost like uh you know like at the end of a hike when you meet when, when you reach a summit it's like you feel accomplished when you get there you know what oh. i mean and yeah. i got to be like a great feeling that you were able to kind of get through all of this and now you can really live your life how you want to live your life you know yeah yeah exactly and, and for me and like and that's a perfect example and that's a great story like I, I talk a lot about visibility and that's one of the big problems we face in the transgender community because of the stigma and because of the violence you know and like i said yes things have gotten a lot better since i grew up but there's still i mean we have trans girls getting murdered all the time yeah, just for being trans, especially trans women of color and you know and so it's not like you know it's it's not like it's you know welcomed in all places and people are super supportive even though it is a lot better but visibility is so important because like yeah you you understand because you witnessed it you saw it firsthand it was somebody you cared about you saw their struggles you you saw that you know how real this is and that's what's frustrating when you still hear people trying to you know they'll be like well i don't you know, I don't care about what lifestyle you choose to live. And you're, and you're thinking, lifestyle? <laughs> this isn't a lifestyle, you know? Yeah. Being a hipster is a lifestyle, you know? This is, this is, you know, this is our core identity. It's who we are. And none of us want this. You don't grow up going, oh, this is cool. Like, I want to be different. This is going to be fun. I've been yeah. accused of selling out. Like, this was a, like a promotional publicity stunt or something. And I'm like, I'm thinking, if this was selling out it was the worst idea ever i lost my sponsors i lost a job like i you know in this financially this would have been the worst decision ever you know and it was uh but it, it's just funny how people interpret things especially if they've never been around anybody they don't understand it and i and i get like if you haven't been exposed to it and if you were raised the way i was i can see why people would balk at it at first and it might not make sense to them but, you know, getting back to the visibility thing, that's why I feel it's so important for me to be visible and to be talking about these things and be speaking at conferences and to be present and, you know, have a presence online because it's like when people don't know and don't understand, it's easy to hate things. I think it's almost natural for, for, for humans to dislike, you know, what they don't understand. So yeah. if, you, if I can be that person, and that's why, like, the documentary was a big deal. It was just because, you know, mine's such an atypical story, right? You know, former Marine, that, you know, world champion powerlifter, you know, all around jock, and then also, and still be trans. People are like, what? Like, how is that possible? And, then, and, they, they, and a lot of times people just assume, well, that person must be crazy. You know, there's kind of, there's something wrong there. But then if you watch the documentary or anybody who meets me and interacts with me, you realize like, no, this is just people are incredibly complex, you know, humans aren't, we're not simple beings that fit in neat little boxes. Yeah. And, you know, if you, you know, if people watch the documentary and, and watch the entire story, then at the end, I hope they have a much greater understanding of, you know, what it's like and what we go through and that we're just being ourselves. That's all it is. And like with trans people, we're like everyone else, you know, some of us are doctors and lawyers, you know, some of us are blue collars. So a lot of us have been in the military 
And, you know, some of us are great, amazing, loving people, and some of us are jerks, you know, it's just like everywhere else. In, in, and, in, a, in any other walk of life, you know, there's exactly. good and there's bad. Yeah, yeah, other than our gender, I, you know, our identity issues, we're just like everyone else. We just, we just want to be able to exist in the world, do our things, and, you know, be loved and love other people and, and not have to, you know, fear violence and discrimination, you know, wherever we go. And so, like, and I think being visible, like, really helps with that because, like I said, like, with you, if it's personal and you get to see it, it's much easier to understand. But one of the big problems is because of the stigma, because of the violence, so much of the trans community is invisible. Like, you know, the trans girls and men that can, what we call passing in the community, and, and I hate that word, by the way, because it, it, what's the opposite of passing is failing. So it's, it, it basically assigns like a, you know, positive connotation to it, to where this is something you should ascribe to do and, you know, reinforces this idea, if you can't blend into society, your identity isn't valid. And of course, that's not true. But, but for people who, you know, like especially, you know, now young trans girls that are transitioning younger, if you get started on hormones in your teens, your body goes through puberty much as a normal, you know, like any other cis female. And then so your transition's much easier. You, you know, you pass, you blend right in, your body changes in all those ways without having gone through a male puberty first. And the same thing for trans men. And then but a lot of people just choose to, you know, blend into society. I have so many friends that just move, kind of start over, and no one knows they're trans. And, and it's super common, and people don't realize. I would, I would wager to say that almost every single person either knows or has met someone that's trans, and they don't even know it. Like, so many of my friends, the places they work, and, you know, all the things they do, one of, one of them, one of, one of the girls I know, she plays on, a, like, a women's hockey league and does all this stuff, and she was out to a few people, but by and large, no one had any idea she was trans. And that, that's so common because they don't want to face the stigma. They don't want the discrimination at work. They just want to blend in and, and live their lives. And I totally understand that and respect that. But at the same time, as long as the community is, is you know, mostly invisible, it's really hard for people to understand who we are and that we're not these crazy people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... Uh, Frankie looks like he's got the wheels turning over there. Uh, first of all, uh, Janet, I just want to say, you know, thank you. Uh, I said, you said a lot of things that I could relate with, not on, you know, not the same personal journey, but the same type of feelings. And um, I really want to just thank you for your courage. And again, the strengths, experience and hope. Um, because I know already today that you've helped me uh, stay sober just for today. And that's, that's something that, um, you know, you can't put a price tag on that. And, um, you know, for me, uh, battling, like being diagnosed, I major depressive disorder. Uh, I was in the hospital for six weeks. I went to rehab for six weeks. Um, and then the anxiety part. And I'm guessing that you probably battled depression and anxiety just because of what you said when you were younger and to where you are today. And, um, you know, when, when you have those type of thoughts that you've talked about, and for me, um, there's a difference between saying it but then when you say it and you actually mean it and you believe it, that's a whole different world that people don't understand. Cause some people can just, some people just say it just to get sympathy and just say, Oh, why me? Poor me. But when it actually happens and when you can't, for instance, for me, when you can't get out of bed for two or three days, you know, I thought all that depression stuff, I'm 28. So before this happened to me at 25, before it, you know, that typical young personality, it's bullshit. You can't, you know, playing college football, being a young cop, doing all these things. I thought it was all BS. But when it actually takes over you, 
and you can't describe it. You can't, you can't even like, you can't even put a picture to it unless you've lived it. Um, it is the worst feeling. It is the worst feeling in the world. And those thoughts come in your head because you're like, the people around me, like my parents and my family and my girlfriend, they don't need to go through this with me. They're better off without me. So that's a lot of thoughts that happen. So I just want to thank you for that um, because, you know, and you said it perfectly too, you know, being in the program of AA, you know, I just said a year sober. It's like, you know, we always thought you don't want to grow up and say I'm an alcoholic. I'm a crackhead, uh, uh, you know, and I hate using that term too, but this is what they say. You know, I'm addicted to crack. I'm addicted to meth, you know? Um, no one wants to grow up and say that, you know, like when you're five, six years old, at, you know, running around kickball, you're not, you know, and ask what you want to be. Oh, uh, I want to be at the bar every single day uh, and, you know, ru you know, ruin my life, my marriage and get all this depressive thoughts. So I'm really happy that um, you said all this because for the stigma for me too, I held it in for so long. It drove me into a fucking rehab for, for 42 days because I was so scared as a young police officer. Um, if I say this, I'm done. You know, I can't go through this. I can't do this anymore, you know, and I needed to get help, but I, I, I picked like the job over my own personal life that drove me to, you know, maybe not even being here or still being a cop, you know, but once I talked about it, like you said, Janae, and for me to share my story beginning, you know, not just, Oh, I was drinking so much, but really what happened and, being in a hospital for six weeks um, and doing all that, once I started sharing it, people started to, to thank me. And, and you know, there's a lot more similarities out there. Like you said, like I have the same issue and stuff, but being a cop, you can't express this on social media. You can't do any of this, but it happens to like a lot of the percent of first responders, like 30% of first responders suffer from PTSD, anxiety, depression. But if you talk about it, it's kind of like how you said the test, you know, pink flower, pink, or, you know, if you talk about it, you're done. So that's why, you know, now for me, I'll fight to talk about it because it saved me. It's helped a lot of other people and it made me a 10 times stronger person than I am today. So I just really want to thank you. Thank you for, for that. Seriously. No, you're welcome. And I, and I can totally relate about those things. And that's what's, you know, kind of unique about my journey as a trans person. I mean, there's, we come from all walks of life. But the more, the crazy thing is, the more success I had, the harder it made for me to come out. So like when I, when I got, you know, after being in the Marines, working in presidential security, and then I got out, I went to college and became a pharmacist and, you know, and I was competing the whole time. And then I slowly worked my way to, you know, to national championships and world championships, and then eventually broke the all-time world record in my weight class. And so everybody, and I was this kid from this small town, right? I heard they had posters of me up in my high school and I went back there once to give a talk and, you know, I'm speaking at seminars and, and then I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm getting hired by these supplement companies and, you know, going to expos and signing autographs and taking pictures with fans. And then the whole time in my head, I'm like, these people don't even know who I am. And I'm, but I'm terrified to come out about it because it was like the, 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 more success I had, the better I did. It was like, I, I was put up on this pedestal, like, well, this person can do anything. Look where they came from, look what they've achieved. And I'm thinking the whole time, yeah, but you guys have no idea. This isn't even, this is only part of me. This isn't, you know, and I didn't want to let everyone down. Like I felt all this pressure to keep being this person that everybody thought I was. 
And um, it was just like overwhelming. And, and uh, you know, basically I got to the point in my life where I started contemplating suicide. And I just didn't see any way that, um, you know, any way that, I didn't see any way this was gonna work out. When it, I went through a divorce um, with my, the mother of my sons, and I've got, I've got three amazing boys, and I'm really, really close to them. And, um, you know, so we, I went through the divorce, and she, she was the first person I ever came out to. I told her before we started dating, we were friends, and we were hanging out, and she kind of guessed it. She knew, again, she recognized there was something different about me, but couldn't put her finger on it. And then she finally kind of guessed it, and I couldn't deny it. So then we had some conversations. She was supportive initially, but then it didn't last very long. And then so I just basically went back to suppressing it for like another 10 years. And, you know, we got married like a year and a half later and had three kids. And, and um, anytime I would try to bring it up or try to talk about it, she didn't want to hear or have anything to do with it, which just kind of added to my shame and added to the guilt. And, and um, so she was aware of everything, but just, you know, just wanted me to like, you know, suppress it and not deal with it. And then by the end of our marriage, and we had lots of other issues, you know, like a lot of couples do that have young kids and have been together, you know, almost 10 years. So it wasn't like, that wasn't the sole issue for the divorce, but it was a factor. And, mm -hmm. um, and she had gotten into a church at that time that I considered very extreme and, and that then getting really heavy into the religion. Um, also, she started seeing it not just as something that was weird or something she'd be embarrassed that if it came out, is something that was sinful and wrong and you know and that and that made me feel even worse so but then after we got divorced and you know i'm just i just went through a divorce and it was really rough on my on me financially as well and then i'm coming home every day and not getting to see my sons and um it was uh it was just a really really hard time and uh and when i thought about my life you know realistically I just didn't see any way it was going to work out. I was like, how, I'm not going to be able to transition. You know, I'm 280 pounds of muscle and, you know, and um, who's ever going to want to date me? How am I ever going to have a good relationship? And um, I just, you know, when I tried to look at everything objectively and, and step back from it, I was like, this is never going to work. And, um, and that's, yeah. And, uh, one night I just, I came really close um, to ending everything. And, uh, and then, but then I, uh, sorry. Um, okay. And, uh, but I thought about my boys and um, knew I couldn't do that to them. And then uh, I just said, you know, I've got to figure this out. And, um, at that point, I started coming out to my friends and and uh, started going to support groups and you know and then started dressing up and going out in public and you know little by little and and uh, things slowly got better and uh, it was it was rough initially but but um, but there were still there were some really great moments and you know finally getting to see the person that I knew was inside me all those years was like a huge thing. And, uh, you know, so I just want that. I just share that so that other people that are going through really, really rough times, um, 
you know, know that there is light at the end of the tunnel. And no matter what you're dealing with, things do get better. And uh, now, I mean, I have zero regrets. My life is amazing. And um, I couldn't be happier. And uh, yeah, no regrets whatsoever. So I just want to share that to let other people know when things seem, you know, so dark and so hard that if you just persevere, things will get better and uh, they'll get a lot better. And, and going through those tough times, there, there's such great teaching moments. You learn so much from it. And um, it strengthened me as a person. And it taught me to be, you know, more compassionate for others. And one of the, the most interesting things, so like when I'm going through all of this, so when I'm starting to come out and starting to go into public, it was a really crazy time in my life. So at that time, this is like at the peak of my powerlifting career. So on the, you know, like I'd be, you know, my typical week. So like I might be traveling to say like the Mr. Olympia or the Arnold Classic on the weekend to sign autographs. And, you know, when I'm in these, you know, strength worlds, I'm like this famous person. You know, I could barely go to the bathroom without getting mobbed by a bunch of people looking for pictures and, and autographs. And then, but then during the week, I'm working as a pharmacist. And then I'm just, you know, I'm your average pharmacist, you know, doing my job nine to five. And then on the weekends, I'm dressing up and going out as a non-passing trans woman. And in public, I'm getting treated less than human. I mean, I'm being treated like this, like this other, this it that isn't even, you know, worth anything. So it's like, it's, it's just a crazy dynamic that like, some days I'm being like treated like a hero. Other days I'm being treated less than human. And then part of the time I'm, I'm living this average middle-class life. And, um, but it really was a great perspective for me and taught me so much and, and um, you know, it allowed me to, to relate to so many different people. And, and it was just such a learning experience. I'm very thankful, honestly, to have gone through all of it. Yeah, that's, I mean, that sounds tremendous because like, like you said, like in, in these three different roles, like being at these powerlifting uh, events then being at work and then going out on the, you know, it's one extreme to the other. You know, I can only, I, I mean, I can't imagine the, uh, the emotional coaster that you went um, So that is the definition of like resilience and perseverance um, because, you know, the average person, I think, doesn't really even understand that type of dynamic, right? Because everybody lives, you know, a normal life, right? And so for you to be in three different roles and, and you know, have to figure out what, like, all right, well, you know, I need to be comfortable. So at some point, I need to come to terms with who I am. And, you know, in order for me to be healthy mentally, I, I have to accept this 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 role that I'm in, and uh, I think that's the part I think people need to really focus on. That that is a work in progress, right? You know, you said you had some really dark times, and um, you know, th thank God for your your, your three sons because we're now we're sitting here having this conversation, um, and you know, the fact that you thought of your children um, is is huge because it shows the type of compassion. And, and heart that you have as a human being. And I think at the end of the day, people just need to look at a person as a human being and just that, nothing else. Let's not put a title on, you know, their, their, their religion, their, their, um, their gender, you know, their, their political affiliations, we're, we're human beings. So we're responsible to, to, uh, 
to take care of other human beings. That's our job as human beings. You know, we're social creatures. And I think that people don't really understand that. They, they get lost in a lot of the, the hustle of day-to-day, of -day, you know, life. You know, people get occupied with, you know, social media, work, and then life stressors. Instead of sitting there and saying, oh, how can I help a human being today? You know, how can I help somebody become a better person? And it, that may just be sitting down listening to somebody's story. Because a lot of times people just want to be heard. You know, like people have a lot of things that they deal with on a daily basis that they can't really just go out and speak about. You know, you could be the person that someone talks to and you have a conversation and you can be the difference of that person, you know, making it through that day. You know what I mean? Because a lot of people really just want to be heard and we go through life ignoring people. I don't think people really understand that. That's why I make it a thing. Like if I walk in the street and I see somebody, I would say good morning or good afternoon. And in New York, people look at you like you're crazy, you know? Um, so oh, yeah. To just human and, and say, hey, good morning, good afternoon, or have a great day, that type of stuff. Just the little things like that make a difference. And I think if we just got more in tune with just being human, and I, I think that would help a lot of people in a lot of different ways. And just listening to stories like this, you know, this is a tremendous story. Like someone who has such a, 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 a life of, a, you have a lot of accolades, you know what I mean? And no one would ever know that you were accomplishing all these things and you were struggling with all these inner emotions and feelings, you know, and then you got to this dark place and you made it, um, you know, out of it. And guys like, um, like Frankie and myself, um, this is why we made this podcast so that people can hear your journey, your story, and know that there's, there, there's light at the end of the tunnel. So when you said that, I don't know if you saw my face, my face lit up when you said that, because, you know, we made this podcast so that people can really see that there is a, there is, um, there's light at the end of the tunnel and there's possibility for greatness. And you are a walking, talking testament of that. Well, thank you. But yeah, yeah, I, yeah I, I absolutely agree, though, that it does. And I, you know, like I said, I know what it's, you know, like to be in those places. And, and it, it just seems hopeless at the time. You, you don't think that life is ever going to work out or things are going to get better. And, mm -hmm. and that's not the truth. And, you know, you just have to persevere. And then you look back. And the thing is, when you've made it through those times and you look back and you're like, gosh, how could I ever have thought that way? And like, what was I thinking? And and um, but, you know, we, we go through some rough stuff and, and, and it can be whatever, you know, like alcoholism or, you know, with me, my gender issues, it can, you know, be from all different, all different things that humans deal with. You know, it doesn't matter what it is, but like, you know, life gets difficult for almost all of us. Everybody struggles with something. And, and, that, and the thing is too, you never know. Like, I mean, that's like people had no idea. Like, I'm, you know, you know, living this life and people are looking at it like, you know, like I started, you know, I did little things first as I was coming out, I'd paint my nails and that was a way to keep some of my identity with me the whole time. And, and as I slowly got more comfortable with who I was, I was coming out more and more. But like when I came out to people and, you know, when they like the nails and things like that, they're like, well, I just thought you were living like this rock star life. And, you know, you were in, and the thing is like, they, you know, they're like, oh, you just seemed like you had this amazing life and all this stuff. And, and I did in a lot of ways, but but you know there was all this stuff i was struggling with and people didn't know 
I would literally, like, at the, in the roughest parts, I'd be driving to work, bawling my eyes out alone in my car, and then, you know, get to work and uh, put a smile on and walk in and, like, the cheeriest person ever. And, um, you know, it was just because it was what you had to do. You know, and I, I'm not somebody who, you know, seeks attention that way, and I didn't want people to know what I was going through. I didn't want to burden people with it either. But, you know, so I would just, if you talk to people who were around me, they would have thought I was like one of the happiest people ever. And, um, very pleasant they person. Had no idea. And, uh, you know, and I actually had a friend in the Marines who unfortunately, um, hung himself and, uh, we had no idea there was anything wrong. He was one of those people that always had a smile on his face, always laughing, always just seemed like so upbeat. And one weekend where we come back and we heard the news and, and everyone was shocked and no one had any idea that he even had anything going on. And um, so that it really speaks to what you say, you know, just being kind, a smile, a hi, a how you doing, you know, yeah. all these things. You never know when that could be the one thing that, you know, makes that person's day or keeps them around for, you know, one more night. And, and maybe that's enough to help them get through things. So yeah. it's just, you know, we all deal with stuff. We all have things that we hide and parts about ourselves that we're insecure about and we're afraid to let other people see. And um, so, yeah, just being kind to other people. And you never know what someone's going through. And, and oftentimes the meanest people are the ones that are struggling the most, you know, and sometimes when, you know, people are real jerks or very aggressive, it's because either there's stuff inside they don't like about themselves, or maybe they're going through something really rough. You, you just never know. It's, it's funny that you say that because, um, I, uh, I always, um, I'm, I pay attention to human behavior. Like I'm very, I'm very, I pay attention to detail very acute when it comes to things like that and um a lot of the times when someone's very jovial and very like you know happy-go-lucky um, i do this with my friends i always uh ask us you know instead of saying how are you how are you feeling i ask how's your spirit today and people kind of look at me like my question is that because sometimes if you ask somebody how are you they'll just automatically answer oh i'm fine so I just use a different term that'll make you think, stop, slow things down. Really, so I always do that with my friends. And, um, you know, I started doing it on my social media platform. You know, I say, hey, ask your friends or somebody you know how their spirit is. Because that will open up a, a world of, of, of conversation. Because that person that walks around and eat, like you said, they're, they're on either um, spectrum. They could be super aggressive and be like an asshole or a jerk, or they're super jovial, super sweet, super nice. And um, when you ask that question, people usually, I mean, like I have like a 97% rating on it. <laughs> Normally will talk to me going on with their day. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah, and you're, you're 100% right about, you know, when you say, how you're doing, how are you doing, which is just a common greeting, you know, it's a default answer, right? It's like, oh, great. Or, you know, yeah, awesome. How are you doing? And, yeah. um, you know, and that's, there's really no thought. So saying something different like that, I mean, that's an excellent idea. And, and I think, you know, and like you, like, I, you know, I 
and especially like having been through everything that I've been through, I think I tend to pick up on a lot of things that other people maybe don't see. And mm-hmm. if I see someone, you know, having a rough day, or I just think there's something there that I can tell is eating away at them. Um, you know, especially if, if you're alone, like you're in a group of, group of people, obviously someone's not going to open up in front of everybody. But like, if there's a chance where it's just the two of you, and I'll just be like, I'll be like, hey, you doing all right? And, um, and a lot of times, they'll kind of be like, you know, and then just, and then I'll be like, well, what's going on? And, you know, kind of try to help them open up and, and you'd be surprised. And and sometimes, like you said, they just need to talk. They just need somebody to listen to them. They just need to open up and and, uh, share a little bit and never know how much of a difference that might make. And I'll never forget, like after I came up with all these things and I was talking, there was a girl that I went to high school with and she was several years younger than me. Um, I, I, I never knew her. I mean, I knew her name, but I never, we never had any kind of interaction or anything. But she had a rough time in school. And um, she told me that one time, um, <laughs> this can make me sad, just talking about it, even though it's a very little thing. Um, she was just having a really, really rough time. And uh, and I was like probably a junior or senior at the time. And, and uh, she thought like, you know, I was like this jock and I was one of the cool, you know, it, it's funny because some people thought I was like, you know, this cool, like person, part of the in crowd and stuff. I never saw myself that way. And, and a lot of other people didn't either, but, um, but because I was good at sports and things like that, and, you know, had a lot, and I did have a lot of friends by the time I graduated. Sometimes people had that impression, but so she was a younger kid, you know, she'd see me playing football or, you know, winning these wrestling matches. Wow, that's a really cool, popular person. And um, and I think my car was broke down at the time, which it often was because it was a total piece of junk. And I had hopped on the bus that day and she was having a terrible time. And she said, like, our eyes made contact when I walked by and um, I just smiled at her. And, um, and it was no big deal and it's not even anything I ever remembered. But just that me smiling at her that day, like totally turned her day around and um, and just helped her out because she saw me as someone that was, you know, someplace she hoped to be. And uh, so just wow. a little, little goofy thing like that. And it was something she remembered, you know, like 20 years later, she's telling me about this and how much it meant to her. Yes, and, the little, you know. Yeah, silly little thing, just smiling at someone you know yeah absolutely the little Mm -hmm. things that that can go a long way um no just what 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 jay said before and and you know what this whole podcast really is today you know today is that um i know that anyone that's listening to this don't if you're battling with depression anxiety or whatever you're battling with don't let that take over you the whole entire day and that's going to be you forever because it's not you know because you know my out my alcoholism is not is not frank you know and if you could just get through like you said Janae those little steps if and you know the whole alcoholism AA and a one day at a time you know it's just so easy to you know it's just like everyone oh I hear it yeah one day at a time but if you can practice that one second at a time maybe one hour at a time but if you can just remember and it's very hard to when you're going through this that it can and it will get better. It goes a long way because, 
you know, thank God you're here with, with us today, Janae. I'm here, you know, Jay's here. And it, it, it does get better, even though it's like people don't want to hear that. Like when someone's really depressed and you're like, you know, you know, Jay, it's going to get better. It's going to get better. And they, they don't want to hear that. But it's those that, like you said, talking about it and that, that support group. And that's what the whole, I, I really believe that any type of fitness, nutrition, and that support group is key. All three of those can make a great life for somebody. And it's not powerlifting. It's not CrossFit. It's not strongman. It's not bodybuilding. It's any, any type of fitness. You know, I don't want to say it has to be that because it could be like we were talking about before, mountain biking, jogging, whatever makes you happy, dancing, whatever it is. That your depression is not you and it's not going to be you forever. So if you could just remember that and it, and I'm not going to sit here and say it's easy because it's, it's not, it took me years and it's still, it's everyday work. It's going to take a long time, but that, that sense of relief is going to be worth it. And you are going to be able to be what you were put on this planet for. You're going to be able to be you. So anyone struggling, you know, and if you don't know, you never, you know, cause we have listeners from, from all over, you know, reach out to me on Instagram and Jay and, you know, Janae, I'll put her email cause I know we'll all answer and, you know, you're not alone. And that's, you know, social media could be such, you know, a negative, but it can also be such a positive interaction. You know, if there's no social media today, this would be, never be happening. You know, you would, we would never yep. even know anyone existed. Very true. So just remember if you're going through something, it's not you and it's not, re- it's not the real you. It's not going to be you forever. And if you can get, just get that and get through that one day, maybe tomorrow's going to be a little better. Maybe tomorrow's going to be the exact same day, but those minutes and those hours are going to start adding up where you're able to kind of sit back in this chair. Now like I'm sitting in and kind of see, okay, this is what I went through. This is what I'm here, but this is the work, the continuous work I have to put in every single day to get better because it's not easy. And this is exactly what this podcast is all about. Um, going through the labyrinth and, you know, Janae, the, the I, I gotta, I'm going to have to say it, Jay, because the, the labyrinth in Greek mythology is your mind, you know, uh, your mind, but it's also the story of it is the minotaur, right? The minotaur is your fears, your doubt, your anxiety, and you had to face the minotaur head on. Some people face the minotaur and they lose and they either commit suicide. They go through a depression their whole life. They use drugs, they use alcohol, and they never really get to live. Also part of who you are is thesis, the Greek warrior that killed the minotaur, love, um, compassion, and the visionary and when thesis killed the minotaur he knew he could kill the minotaur when he went inside the labyrinth he was just nervous how he can get out and his girlfriend at the time gave him a little ball of yarn and said listen when you go into the labyrinth and you face the minotaur drop the yarn in kill the minotaur and follow the yarn out that that ball of yarn is the smallest little thing that's worth like what a dollar whatever it is now it's worth nothing but it was it shows love and the little things can go a long way and, and you guys hit it on the point, not, you know, when, when someone say, you know, how are you doing or how's your spirit today? But it's like, really? No. How are you? Because those little check-ins, those little phone calls, you might reach out to someone that you haven't talked to in a few weeks, or they might be having the worst day. Like, wow, you know, now it can change my mind from something and bring me to here right now where my feet are not thinking about all this craziness and stuff. And that can go such a long way. Oh yeah, I mean, Frankie, you uh, you nailed that there.
buddy. I like that. <laughs> yeah, so. very well said and, and absolutely true. And uh, yeah, the littlest things and, and just keeping that perspective and, and just, you know, to reiterate what you were saying about, you know, it, it, in those times where it feels hopeless, just keep persevering and, and it will get better. And, and like you said, what I always, like the little thing I always remember and remind people of, it won't be easy, but it will be worth it. And, you know, and just to keep that in mind. And, uh, you know, when you get, when you get through it, it, it's, you look back and you're so thankful for everything you've been through. And, and, um, you know, and like I said, like, you know, it not only does it strengthen us, but then it allows us to help other people too. And, and, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't change a thing. I mean, yeah, I went through some rough times and, and, uh, but life now is great and may not sound like it today. I feel like I've done nothing but be emotional, but, um, but no, it's, it does get so much better. And I live a life now that honestly, I wouldn't even have dreamed of before. And, uh, so thankful for that. Yeah. Amen. Um, and I was going to say, you know, as we say in like, you know, in AA or whatever are using, we could have been a complete asshole while we were using not a good person. Right. But that person doesn't have to be you forever. And the number one offender for a relapse or, and everything is resentment, you know, resentment towards other people, but resentment towards yourself. So if I keep thinking or Janae keeps going through her mind or Frank keeps going through his mind of what I did five years ago, 10 years ago, what I, the negative things I said to that person, that's going to eat at you. You know, you get that and you acknowledge that you were wrong, you know, but you try to live every single day to not go, not have to make that. I don't even know if you would call that a mistake, but go through that and, you know, that's going to hurt. But as long as you acknowledge it and, you know, I was in taking responsibility, admitting I was wrong can build up and go such a long way. So I think that person agrees. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, no, no, hundred percent. And I think like I just wanted to add to something you said about like making mistakes. And I know sometimes you know, we screw up, we do things, you know, maybe we treat someone poorly or we say something we're ashamed of, or we do something and then we dwell on that. And that keeps us in that bad place. And, and it makes us feel like we're a bad person. And the thing you got to realize, we all make mistakes. We all do things that we wish we could have done differently in hindsight's 2020. But you got one, one of the sayings that I really like and try to keep in mind is that, you know, um, good judgment comes from experience and experience comes from poor judgment, you know, so we learn, you know, from those mistakes we make. And sometimes those are the best teachers. We often learn way more from our failures than we ever will from our successes. And it's just part of the process and to recognize that and not get, not dwell on the fact that we made a mistake or we goofed something up or maybe we didn't handle a situation the way we wish we would have. It's okay. Just learn from it, grow from it. And recognize that it's part of who we are and none of us are perfect and we're going to make mistakes and, and it's okay it's just you know it's part of living our lives absolutely i like that one yeah we amen. were imperfect not fake perfection i always say that all the time um uh, i think too many people more often than not try to walk around with this more holier than thou mindset or like they try to exude that and listen yeah. and to, to grow and learn in life, you have to fail. So anyone who's walking around here acting like they never fell short or have any shortcomings, they're obviously not being truthful with themselves. Exactly. So, so um, you know, when you can kind of accept certain things and understand that this whole process is, is, 
you know, every day, if you don't learn something new or like, if you don't, if you're not the best at something or, or you've, like you said, if you, you don't, you don't fall short, then you're not really growing. You're not really learning. So um, the fact that you mentioned that, I think is awesome. Uh, I think a lot of people need to understand that and kind of get their, their head out of the clouds. Cause a, a lot of people want to be something that they're not, you know, and it takes a lot of growth and a lot of acceptance to, to be who you really are. You know, I think too many people, we all put on masks every single day. Um, and I, and I say masks because, you know, like when I go to work, you know, I have to wear a mask in a sense because I can't show emotion in certain instances, right? If I'm trying to be a, a supportive person to, you know, someone may have lost a family member and I have to do like, a, you know, a, I have to speak to that person and let them know that, you know, family member passed away or, you know, death notification is not an easy thing to do, oh you know, oh. with, a, you know, I have to have a stoic face, you know, so, but in the same breath, I also have to console them. You know what I mean? Because it, it wouldn't make me a compassionate human being if I told somebody, hey, so-and-so just passed away and I just walked off. So, you know, for us wearing these masks, right? I think a lot of people do that on a daily basis. And when you wear these masks and you play these, and you're in these different roles, you, you kind of forget who you are, you know? So these self-check-ins, these, you know, making sure that you're okay, you're fine, and you're, you know, still on, on the path of being a, a great human being, being the human being that you were meant to be. Um, you know, understanding that failure, pain, a little bit of hurt um, is part of the process. I always say that I love the word, the process. Um, Cause I think a lot of people lose sight of that, that, you know, you're not, every day is not going to be a win, you know, and you know, it'll be easy, but it'll be worth it. And anything worth having in life is, is never easy to get, you know, when, and that could be you know, just having peace of mind, you know, just coming to a place of self-actualization. So on, like, on Maslow's hierarchy, the pinnacle of it is self-actualization. Some people never get there. They never make it to that apex, you know, because they get lost in everything else. And so, you know, when you say a lot of these things, it resonates with me. And even like before we even got into the podcast, we were just having a, a conversation about like Michigan. You're a super pleasant person, you know. <laughs> I can't imagine being, being, you know, you know, hurtful or, or mean to you because just based off of our human interaction, you're a super nice person. So I can, I, you know, it, it kind of hurts me to hear that you had to go through all of that um, because some people weren't understanding to your journey. But, you know, sitting here having this conversation, I feel like I'm a better human being for having this conversation today. You know, so I, I thank you for, uh, you know, sharing your time, sharing your experience, um, the ups and the downs of it, because it's helped me realize a lot of things about myself and help me put a lot of things in perspective. And I think Frankie and I have both grown um, exponentially during this episode because we're hearing, you know, the things that you went through and, and that you made it out, you know, you, you know, you're at the apex of self-actualization. And that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, well, thank you. I mean, thank you both for giving me the opportunity to share my story and be open about everything. And and um, yeah, it's good for me and to interact with you guys and hear your stories and hear your perspectives. And, um, you know, it just helps all of us grow, right? And, yeah. and uh, 
it's just, yeah, no, I feel really fortunate that you guys, you know, who knows who out there might hear this and it might, you know, make a positive impact in their life. And that's just so important. Oh, for sure. This is going to be, I think it's probably me. My, it might be our pop, most popular podcast. I think when this drops, I'm very curious to see um, how the interaction goes, because I feel like this is a very heartfelt podcast. Um, you can hear the emotion in our, in our voices and the conversation was very much so in depth, you know, and it's kind of like what's going on right now in the world. There's a lot of dismay going on. Right. And, you know, the premise of this podcast is, you know, Hey, in all the, the disruption that's going on in the world, that eventually things will have to, it, things will rectify itself and we will get to a place of, of peace. And, you know, but in order to get to that place of peace, we have to go through this, you know, um, conundrum, so to speak, because, you know, like you said, I, and I love this, I love this, uh, this quote, I'm going to be using this, but it, you know, it won't be easy, but it'll be worth it. So it's, you know, we got to go through this to get to where we need to be. Absolutely. And mission bold. <laughs> yeah, growth is uh is not easy. Um, but look at a tree. You plant a tree. Look how long it takes to for it to grow. You know. Yeah. So it's just it's just a fat. It's just life. Really, that's that's it. And you know, Janae, we really want to thank you for coming on. But before we wrap up, we're going to ask you a few more questions, so the listeners, to get to know you a little bit, a little more. Um, uh, so the first question is, we're going to go, I'm going to go to fitness, change it up a little bit. If you have one compound lift and one accessory lift to do for the rest of your life every single day. So only, you know, and uh, don't think about recovery because you can wake up the next day and your recovery will be fine. What is the main lift you're doing? And then you have one accessory lift that you're doing. Uh, the main lift would, would have to be the deadlift. Um, I just think that, you know, it builds your whole posterior chain, entire body strength. Um, it's also, you know, a tough one that builds some mental toughness as well. And so just, you know, a ton of benefit and also transfers very well to the real world, right? Like anytime you're picking something up or grabbing, pulling, doing anything, I mean, it just, you know, transfers over to real life. Um, especially if recovery is not something you have to be concerned with, <laughs> you, can, you know, pull like a monster every day. Um, oh, accessory movement. That's a good one. Gosh, there's so many options. Um, wow. Um, well, if we're using the deadlift as the, as the main movement, then I would have to do something, you know, working on the pulling muscles and getting a little bit of lower body work in there. So I have to go with something for the upper body that would work all the pushing muscles. And I, I guess I'd say maybe dumbbell bench press. We can't do bench, then we'll do dumbbell bench, and uh, okay. yeah, because that chest, shoulders, triceps, and just really works that whole upper body. So that would be yeah. I, I'm a big believer still in the basics, you know, hard and heavy, and um, you know, of course, it, you know, tailored to your goals. It all depends, you know, what you're trying to do. But if you're looking for the most bang for your buck, and you know, you can't beat things like deadlifts and heavy benches and squatting, of course, and you know, those kind of things. Exactly. Now, what, what what was your best pull ever? Because I was reading it was eight uh, something. Eight ten at two twenty. Fuck. Yeah. You. <laughs> that, that's. <laughs> God. You pounds more than my one rep max, bro. <laughs> you, you were. Did you have the, the world record for one uh, one ninety eight or two hundred uh, two twenty? It was two twenty, right? 
Yeah, I, and then I, you were like top five and two forty two, right? Still with those numbers. Yeah, and then I was, yeah, and that was competing as like a light two forty two, like earlier in my career. So yeah. So, I, I, a a question that we don't ask, uh, but I want to base on it. Like when you were lifting through that, who was kind of like? Because uh, I read also that you were training with like Dave Tate and Elite FTS and those guys. Who, who was like your? Who was who did you look up to? Who was your I guess not mentor, but who did you look up to in the fitness world? Yeah, you know, I was never one to like idolize people and I never really had a mentor. Usually I learned, I was fortunate to be able to learn from a ton of people. Like back in those days of elite FTS when it was, you know, like myself, Jeremy Frey, Brian Carroll, you know, Dave Tate, Jim Wendler. And then, you know, I got to compete against, um, you know, guys like Sean Frankel and, and um, there's just, you know, there, you know Chuck Vogelpohl and, you know, all these legends and monsters. And I, I learned from all these people. Dave has always been amazing, super, obviously, super. anyone that knows him or knows of him knows how great he is about sharing knowledge. You know, I, I made some trips out to Westside Barbell with Louis Simmons and then a good friend of mine, J.L. Holdsworth, used to train there. He was one of their top dogs until he got hurt. And, you know, I, I was just like, I was inspired by all these people and I picked up bits of knowledge from all of them. And, um, you know, one of the things I loved most about those opportunities and getting to speak, you know, speaking at all these like strength seminars was that I was just as happy to sit there and listen to everyone else, you know, people like John Meadows, um, you know, and, and I loved going because I would do my thing speaking and then I would sit down and I would be taking notes all day and learning from everyone else that was there. And there was just, you know, so many amazing people in the strength world. Like I said, I never really had any one person that I idolized and I was super competitive and I was always, you know, my goal from early on was to be number one in the world. And it, you know, it took a long time, like, you know, geez, almost 30 years of lifting and, you know, 10 years of competing professionally and, you know, slowly working my way from the local to the national scene to the world scene. And then, you know, finally breaking the world record. And, um, but I was always just inspired by like my competitors and anyone that did anything, you know, exceptional. I, you know, if someone else did something exceptional, I wanted to exceed that, you know, that was always my mindset. I never, I never thought of things as like people would say, well, what, you know, when, whenever someone bring up, well, what's the absolute limit that a human can lift? There is none, absolutely <laughs> none. Yeah. You know, like that's, that's, you know, like you can't tell me if someone squats 1200 pounds, someone else can't do 1205 and then 1210. Right. Like, Look at the deadlift always, world record now, right? Yeah, it's it's crazy, you know, and like what's going going on with the deadlift and and um you know, and then you've got all these huge raw totals being hit and it just the more people that are into it and the more competition there is, the further it drives up the numbers. And like in, in, in all respect to science, I'm very I'm very scientifically minded and everything, but whenever I hear someone say, Well, the human limit for this is this because of our, you know, muscle you know, whatever, and leverages and tendon strength and everything. I'm like, BS, because I, you know, just like they said, the four minute mile was impossible. And, you know, it's like, no, the, the human limits, there aren't any. And as long as you believe that and you're willing to work for it, you can exceed what anyone else thinks is possible. Yeah. Amen. I gotta, I gotta have to give a shout out to John Meadows because we had him on the podcast on season three <laughs> and it was, oh man, it was an absolute blast. His story was, you know, I wasn't ready for it, and it was great. It was – what a great guy. Yeah, yeah John's, John's amazing. He's a really – you know, I met him through Dave and everybody at Elite. And 
I worked with John for quite a while, and um, you know, he did my diet for my last nationals and learned a lot from him. And he's just an amazing human being, a really good person. And um, yeah, I really appreciate it, you know, being able to learn from him. And, and there's another, uh, you know, you want to talk about years. You know, you just said it yourself. It took you 30 plus years. It took John 17 years of competing in shows to get his pro card. So now, you know, that's what we talk about is not giving up and take this stuff takes time, whatever you want to achieve in life and, you know, feeling what you want to be. And, you know, I always say this quote by The Rock and he was like, you know, in his 20s, he had no idea who he was. In his 30s, he got a little better. In his 40s, he finally felt comfortable. You know, so it took him over 40 years to feel comfortable in his own skin. And if a lot of people could just realize that, you know, if you're in your 20s, you're in your 30s or wherever you're going through is like you're not alone. You know, you're definitely not alone because everyone is just going through life trying to figure it out. And that's if people can look at it like that, like, all right, we're all trying to figure this out together and we're going through things and ups and downs. It could be a lot better, but it's going to take so long. Life. I know, right? <laughs> we wouldn't appreciate it if it came easy, right? Uh, yeah, that, that, that's true. Um, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Uh, one um what oh food wise okay you have one meal you have one meal to eat for the rest of your life every single day oh what, boy. what meal are you going with it could be healthy or unhealthy oh, can i do one of each <laughs> sure. I, yeah why not yeah healthy would probably just be like a really lean cut of red meat and um and i know some people are gonna say well that's not healthy but it's it's worked very well for me with training and everything, but yeah, and then either then probably rice and um, you know water and uh, but yeah, I, I did a lot of the just meat and rice or meat and potatoes and you know old school bodybuilding type diet, but um, but that I always felt good on that. It's you know very nutrient dense and was great for building muscle and strength. And, so sorry to cut and, you uh, off. You did a lot of red meat. Um, yeah. Like uh, okay, because I'm. You did a lot of red meat, like every day. You would say, "Oh yeah, yeah." So yeah. kind of like a Mark Bell carnivore. Um, not so much a carnivore, more like what Stan Efferding does, like the vertical. vertical. Type diet where yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I balance out with carbs. You know, a lot of just you know basics: um, oatmeal, rice. Um, I do like you know sometimes sweet potatoes, but more often red skin potatoes. Those are my main carb sources. Protein is mostly lean red meat, eggs. Um, you know, I'll add extra egg whites and then, um, and then, you know, Greek yogurt is kind of a snack for me, but, but I eat like massive quantities. Like wait, I, was, <laughs> I was a big eater, even as a little kid at seven years old, I was eating more than most adults. And I was a tiny little, those people don't realize I wrestled in high school at 119 pounds. Like I was not a naturally big person. My dad is my height, my frame, and literally right now weighs 106 pounds. I mean, he's tiny. Your dad? Yeah, yeah. The doctors just put him on protein shakes because he, was, he went in for a checkup and he was 97 pounds. And um, yeah, he's just, and, and granted, that's part of my dad's lifestyle. I mean, he lived on beer and cigarettes for, you know, decades. But, um, you know, and he eats terrible. But um but yeah, I didn't have, and, and people will laugh now, like this is something too, like for people that maybe feel discouraged or, um, you know, people are telling you, you can't do this if you have big goals and they're saying, oh, that's impossible, especially in athletics, you don't have the genetics. L let me just tell everyone, when I was up and coming, and yes, I was, you know, somewhat of a good athlete coming up, but I was no superstar. I didn't make all state in wrestling and football or, you know, 
or baseball. And even though I started in all of them and I did well, I wasn't like a superstar athlete. And a lot of it had to do with my self-confidence. But, but like when I was young and up and coming and I was always carrying around bodybuilding magazines, I was always talking about lifting. I was always in the gym. Like I was the kid they had to kick out and I would sneak in. And I mean, I've broken in, I used to regularly break into buildings in college in the middle of the night to train. In the Marines, I would threaten the guards on duty so that I could train in the gym at 3 a.m. with the lights off. I mean, there was just, I wasn't, you know, there was, that training was not an option for me. And, um, but back then, when people would ask me about my goals and I would tell them, it was always, you don't have the genetics. What, are you kidding me? That's, you, you can't do that. Like, those people are genetic freaks, you know, this and that. And then the frustrating part is, then when you do get to that level, like decades later, when I did, break the world record and, you know, one world championships, then all you hear is, oh, I wish I had your genetics. And you're like, you're like oh, I'd like to strangle those people right now. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so when you're at the top, it's, you know, everybody likes to put it off as you had some kind of gift that helped you more than anyone else. And, but when you're on your way up, don't let people discourage you. Don't let people talk you out of your dreams or out of your goals saying you don't have the genetics, you don't have the ability. Maybe they're telling you you're not smart enough or whatever. I mean, you can come from nothing and achieve anything. You just got to be willing to suffer, put in the time and then work harder than anyone else. And you know, it'll come in time. But don't ever let anyone discourage you and tell you you're not capable of something because anyone is capable of whatever they want to achieve if they're willing to do what it takes to get there. Thank you. I got nothing to say. That was beautiful. <laughs> yeah, that was that was beautiful. Let's not. I, I don't want to forget about that unhealthy meal. I'm kind of excited oh, to hear what yeah. you're going to say. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I'll go back to my my favorite cheat meal when I was dieting for shows, and and even now, like we probably have it once once a week or once every couple weeks with my boys, but pizza and ice cream, and uh, those are yeah. those. Are, yeah. I mean, I I still to this day I still polish off an extra large pizza by myself. <laughs> so, what kind, what kind of ice cream with flavor? Um, usually vanilla with, um, like if we're going out, there's a little ice cream place on the corner just out of my neighborhood. And um, I always get like the blizzard type thing with vanilla ice cream and chocolate peanut butter in it. It's, Ooh, that's, that's, that sounds <laughs> yeah, that's great. I'm the same way. Just Oreos. I like the Oreo McFlurry or blizzard. Oh, those are the best. And cream ice cream, buddy. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> One, um, your favorite movie or two that comes to the top of your head right now? Uh, favorite, number one would probably be the original Matrix, the first one. And I can just relate so much to the, to the main character. And, um, you know, and then, uh, and then just there's so many fantastic ideas explored in that movie as well without getting too crazy. And then, oh, number two, there's so many. I mean, I've only got like a top ten, but Number two would maybe be, um, oh man, there's so many, like Donnie Darko is one of my favorites. Oh, um, Donnie Darko. <laughs> yeah. It was the yeah, first time we heard that one. That would be in there, you know, Pulp Fiction, um, Fight Club, uh, you know, it's, it's hard, to, hard to nail one of those down, but for different reasons and different aspects. But I, I like movies that really make you think have complicated characters because I think that really is more true to life. And, um, and especially where like someone's having to struggle to overcome adversity or having to, you know, like with Neo, the whole idea of being this, you know, struggling to become this person you're supposed to be and, you know, having these doubts and not believing in yourself and, 
and um, also with the Matrix, of course, you know, like all the outfits and the, and the whole, like, uh, you know, gender blurring and, and then, you know, then finding out much later that, in fact, both the Wachowskis end up coming out as trans. So, but at the time, I mean, the, the original Matrix was just, yeah, I love that movie from day one and just thought it was amazing. Good choice. Those are all. Those are all great choices. Um, we've heard Fight Club a lot, actually, like three or four times. Yeah. So it's some. Yeah, it's a great movie. Uh, one person to meet, uh, dead or alive, uh, if you can hang out with them. Uh, who? Uh, and kind of who you are now, I guess. Yeah. Um, who would you hang out with? Oh my gosh! You know, I, I, that's that's one I should probably have thought about and prepared ahead of time. But amazingly, you're the first person that's ever asked me that. Um. No, they're for different reasons. I mean, an easy one would be Arnold, just because what I really respect about Arnold is that he's had so much success in so many different areas, and every single time he was told he would never be able to achieve those things. You know, first would be the skinny kid from Austria, who, you know, was going to be a bodybuilding champion, they laughed at him. Then when he was going to go into movies, they're like, dude, you can't even speak English. Like, how are you going to be a movie star? And then he nails that, you know, because then he's like, I'm going into politics. And again, they're like, come on. <laughs> California. So, like, he's just someone that is able to overcome any obstacle in front of him. And he has, you know, amazing belief in himself. And, um, you know, of course, having the, you know, the shared passion for lifting. And, um, oh gosh, and there, there's so many other people. I'm trying to think. Um, it just, I don't know. I've been reading a lot of a lot of books lately. Like, got back into reading after leaving my day job, and, and um, there's just, you know, I think there's just so much you can take away from so many people, whether it's belief in yourself or an example of how they made things work when they seemed impossible. And um, Honestly, that's a question I'd really need to think about because there's okay. so many, you know, I'll take there. Awesome. Yeah, we'll take we'll take Arnold. That that that's a good one. Yeah, these are not, we try to make them like a little more complex, so you kind of just get it right. You know, so you kind of have to think about it because it wouldn't be as fun if we asked them before and then you, you have the answers yeah. right away. You know, um, yeah, he's the first one that comes to mind, and, and I'm sure there's yeah, I'm sure after we're done, there's something else going to pop Yeah, you're going to reach out to me. You're going to reach out to me and say, oh, I should have, I, I had this person. Um, last question, and another another little complex one is, you come to New York, and this is how you, this is Janae right now, right? You come to New York, and me and Jay, we open up, we, we have a cover over something like a giant tarp. We lift it up, boom, it's a time machine. You can go anywhere you want as who you are now. It could be 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 200 years ago. 500 years ago, you know, Greek time, Roman time, Jesus time, wherever you want to go. Here we go in the future. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know if my time machine will work like that, but we could try, like, back to the future, yeah. If, if we could go into the future, that's the first thing I would do is go to the future. and. Um, how far? Um, far enough to where they have figured out how to manipulate DNA, where they can change my gender, like, like 100%. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Wow. So maybe that's a selfish reason. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but uh, back in history, I don't know. Boy, that'd be a tough one. This might be a little dangerous for me, depending on where I pop up at. Um, let's see. I mean, there's a lot of like, things I would like to understand. I mean, you know, the ancient Greeks had so, you know, were so brilliant, so ahead of their time. They figured out so much. I mean, 
interesting to sit there and listen to some of their philosophers and some of the great minds and, you know, um, go on. What's that? I said, like Greece, like ancient Greece would probably be be mine. Yeah. yeah. They, would think, they would think you're a goddess coming down. You'd have, they'd have a statue of you and everything, you know, they would think, <laughs> you know, change the game. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Too. Like, what, if, what if you had the ability to, you know, change outcomes? But then, of course, that gets scary with the whole thing, too. Like, you yeah, don't want that. I can easily erase myself. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, there's, I mean, there's just so many fascinating things throughout time and then dark times, too. And I mean, I guess I would, oh my gosh, I, I would like to go back like a long ways, like, um, you know, like ancient Western civilization and, and just see. Because the thing is, you know, so history, right? And history is told by the victors. Or history is told by who survives and, and who writes things down. And yeah. So inevitably, it's flawed, right? Like, it's just, the thing is, even like, let's say the three of us are somewhere, we can all witness an event firsthand and then separate us all. And especially after a little bit of time, we're going to have completely different versions of what actually happened. And even if we're trying to be 100% honest and, and portray things that as accurately as we saw them, but so like history always has... You know, a view, it's, it has bias of whoever wrote the story and what their what their own beliefs were or what they found out. And especially when stuff isn't written down for decades afterwards or, you know, it's stories about stories that, you know, this person passed on one story to another person and, and then it was, you know, copied down. So it'd be just interesting to see, you know, firsthand the reality of all these things. I, I don't know if either of you are familiar with the book, The People's History of the United States of America. No, I haven't read it right now, but um, but it's basically an account of um, you know everything from the time America started, like Christopher Columbus and all of that, up into modern times. And I'm about halfway through it right now, but just all these accounts of how things actually happened from people who documented things, and um, it, it's it's not the rosy you know perspective of all the great things that happened and that we get taught in school, it's, it's some of its much darker parts of our history that people didn't want to acknowledge, but it's a, it's a very sobering and very realistic, and I think it's, um, and granted, I'm sure this has some bias as well, but, you know, but, it, but it's an aspect of history that people don't talk about or don't know about, and I think it's important to be aware of those things and try to educate ourselves and see things. If there's anything I learned living my life is, is really trying to see things from other people's perspectives and you know because it's so easy like we grow up a certain way we're taught to believe certain things we have certain experiences and then someone else who grows up in a completely different environment with all those different factors we see the world in completely different ways and it's easy for us to want to judge people without having any idea where they're coming from and what they've been through and so, like, and like I said, like with me, like, you know, living all these different lives kind of and seeing these different aspects, I've really learned that, you know, like, just for example, like when, when I was younger and what I was taught about gay people and what I, how I was taught to believe and think about them. And even with my, where I grew up and, and my dad, there was a lot of racism. And um, but then getting in the Marines, meeting all these different types of people. And then all the experiences I had, and I remember like being in the Marines and there were these gay bars when I was stationed in Southeast DC and, and walking by them and, and what I had pictured in my head that goes on inside and what 
I thought these people were alike. And then, you know, many years later, when I started going to these clubs, because they were safe, safe spaces for me, and, you know, and actually meeting these people and seeing what that world was like was 100% different than what I had assumed. And um, yeah. so it's really hard to, you know, like, you know, challenge your own beliefs and try to get different experiences, speak to people, really find out what their lives are like, these people that are, you know, that have very different experiences than you do. And I, I just think if everyone had that kind of um, attitude and sought out those things, I, I think the world would be a much friendlier place. Exactly. Love. Amen. Beautiful. I want to need some tissues. I mean, this is getting, you know, we're going to have to wrap this up. So, Janae, uh, you know, I just want to condemn you and thank you so much. And um, it's great to, you know, have a new friend and, and meet someone. And, and thank you very much for being so honest. Um, everyone knows I'm Frank. You guys know where to find me. Reps at reps underscore four underscore responders. Jay, where can they find you at? Uh, they can find me on Instagram, the real Jumpman J. Also, I'm on Reps for Responders. I'm running around with Frankie, so you can find me there too. And all, we also want to shout out um, our Inside the Labyrinth podcast page. Oh yes, at, got- at Inside underscore the underscore um, the lab. Uh, podcast. I think I might have messed that up, but it'll be underneath the, uh, it'll be in the description, everything. And that's where we post weekly of, of all the podcast clips that we have. So, um, and uh, Janae, where can they find you at? If you have a social media website, whatever you have. Yep. Um, Janae Marie Kroc on Instagram and Kroc is K-R-O-C and um, Janae Marie Kroc on Facebook, um, Twitter, Janae Kroc. And then my website is JanaeKroc.com. And okay. uh, Thank you, Janae. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you for sharing your story. And again, you helped me stay sober today. Have a great day and hell of a day to have a hell of a day. All right, guys. Have a good one. See ya.